Welcome back, Cremaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another episode for you. Before we jump into today's episode, I do want to give it a little bit of a trigger warning as this is, once again, a case that involves the death of a child, as well as some domestic abuse and domestic violence. I know that can be very triggering for some, and I completely understand, so please, if that is you, just skip over this episode, and I do apologize for once again having another one of these cases. Today's case, however, is one that has been on my list for quite some time now and is one that has been requested multiple times on various of our platforms, including our case suggestion form, which brings me to the perfect opportunity to say this. If you ever wish to suggest a case for us to cover here on the podcast, please check out the description of this episode. I always include the link directly in the description of my episode so that you're able to easily find it and drop your suggestions. Our case suggestion list is always growing and we appreciate all of the suggestions we receive and we sift through them and randomly select one. So without further ado, let's get into today's case on the murder of the child star Judith Barcy. Judith Eva Barcy was born on June 6, 1978 in Los Angeles, California to her parents, Maria and Joseph Barcy. Joseph and Maria were both Hungarian immigrants who fled to the United States from the 1956 Soviet occupation in Hungary. They had come to the U.S. separately but happened to meet each other at a restaurant in California that Maria had been working as a server. While working there, Maria got to know many of the other immigrants who fled to the United States. The restaurant was kind of a place to hang out for them. When one night walked in Joseph Barzi, and this was a man that she had never seen before, and she was really impressed by him. He would sit down at the bar, have some drinks, and then he would pay his tab in $100 bills. Maria was instantly drawn in by this man that was dubbed the name Arizona Joe, and she saw him as an opportunity at a secure life. Both Maria and Joseph had failed marriages under their belts, but they both fell deeply in love with each other and got married in 1977. Not long after their wedding, Maria announced that she was expecting a child, and on June 6, 1978, sweet little Judith was born. Maria was so excited to start her little family, but she was even more excited about the fact that she had a daughter that she could dress up and teach girly things to. Judith was the light of her mom's life, and she was just a sweet, adorable, kind-hearted little girl. She was extremely well-mannered and just was a pleasure to be around. And for the most part, Judith was just a normal young girl. She loved to play with Cabbage Patch dolls, she loved watching Care Bears and Smurfs, and she absolutely loved the colors pink and purple. 
She also loved being outside playing like most children who grew up in the 80s and the 90s. We didn't have that technology back in those days that the kids have now, so we literally played outside until sunup and sundown, and Judith was very much the same. One thing about Maria, Judith's mother, is she loved the fact that they lived so close to Hollywood. She was always absolutely enthralled by movie stars and the thought of fame and fortune. So when Judith became old enough, she started grooming her child into what she thought would attract people in Hollywood to her daughter. She taught her pretty much how to walk, how to talk, and how to move in a certain way. She taught Judith about posture and poise and how to speak when someone had spoken to her. Maria's brother, Joseph Weldon, recalled to LA Times in 1988 that he had told his sister that her chances were like 1 in 10,000 that she would ever succeed at making her daughter famous. But her brother shouldn't have betted against her because one day, while out at the ice skating rink, someone from Hollywood spotted Judith and was completely mesmerized by her. Judith was this absolutely adorable little blonde-haired five-year-old girl skating across the ice rink in such a poised and effortless way. They invited Judith to be a part of some commercials that they had upcoming. Obviously, this was a huge break that Maria had been waiting for for her daughter. She had known from the start that Judith was going to be this huge star and she wasn't wrong. So after agreeing to being willing to work in these commercials, Judith's parents got an agent for Judith. She was hired to do her very first commercial that promoted Donald Duck orange juice, and she was absolutely adorable in this commercial, and she performed so well that they invited her to continue to do commercials for this same company. This was the gateway that Judith needed for her future within the acting world. In total, she did around 70 different commercials and TV show gigs, By the age of seven years old, Judith was raking in over $100,000 a year, which I just want to say, let me remind you that this was in the early 80s, so this was big time money back then. With the income that she was bringing in for her family, her family, who often struggled financially, were finally able to enjoy life more. They were able to move from a small apartment that they had shared into a lovely three-bedroom home in West Hills, Los Angeles. Everyone was ecstatic over this new life that was unfolding in front of them. Judith really enjoyed her jobs and she was a thriving little actress. Her parents were happy about the way in which things were going for Judith and for themselves. And Maria really loved being the mom of this little showgirl. Judith's first big role was playing a character named Kimberly McDonald in a series called Fatal Vision. From there, it just kept snowballing for her like it did with the commercial situation. She was in Punky Brewster, Growing Pains, The Twilight Zone, and so much more. But there was three main roles that I think most people who grew up in the 80s and 90s will recognize Judith for. The first being a role in the movie Jaws the Revenge, where she played a little girl named Thea Brody. 
The next two big roles she had are ones where you would more so recognize her voice instead of her looks. Judith was the voice of Ducky from the classic movie, The Land Before Time. And she also was the voice of a little girl named Anne Marie in the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, which both Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven were two of my absolute favorites growing up as a child. While working those bigger roles in films, she continued working commercials as well, and she worked some big-time commercials, such as ones for Lay's Chips, Jiffy Peanut Butter, McDonald's, and more. Now, Judith was kind of in high demand, if you will. She was very teeny for her age, and though she was starting to get older, she was still being casted for younger roles. Many commercials and companies wanted to cast her because she was so easy to direct and because she was older. She understood what was expected of her. She was always so focused. She knew her lines, and it was just overall easier to direct Judith. And yet she could still be casted in these younger aged roles, which just made the producers, the directors, and everyone on the set jobs easier. At the age of 10, Judith was still just three foot eight, and she began getting hormone injections at UCLA to help encourage her growth. And I couldn't find a ton of information beyond that about these injections or whether they worked or not for her, but in the meantime, as a 10-year-old, she was still casted in roles of a seven or eight-year-old. Now, even though Judith was a rising star, her mother did everything that she could to keep her childhood as normal as possible. Judith was still enrolled in public school, and she always attended school unless she absolutely had to miss due to filming. But if Maria could avoid her daughter missing school, she would. She also did things that every normal kid did. She rode her bike, she played board games, and she even attempted to learn to knit. According to an article published on Medium.com, whenever one of Judith's new shows or commercials were set to air, Maria and Judith would pop popcorn and the two of them would sit in front of the TV to watch it. That is, unless her father was home. Then, if he was home, Judith and Maria would watch in her bedroom. The more successful that Judith got, the more it seemed like her father's envy and rage built up. I'm not sure if it was out of jealousy that his daughter was so successful and bringing in more of an income than his wages he made as a plumber or what exactly it was that caused him so much anger and resentment over his family. But as Judith was a bright rising star for the world to admire behind closed doors of their three-bedroom home located at 22100 McKell Street, there was a lot of darkness. Many neighbors and those closest to the Barcy family came forward after the tragedy with stories of witnessing Joseph Barcy being violent and abusive towards his wife and daughter, including a time where Judith had apparently made her father mad while outside playing with a kite. She had apparently gotten too loud for his liking, and he walked out, yanked the kite from the sky, and when Judith expressed her worry and concern that he would break it, he called her a spoiled brat who didn't know how to share, and he then proceeded to break it in front of her face. With his anger and resentment growing, Joseph turned towards alcohol a lot more and had been arrested several times for driving under the influence. 
What Maria didn't know before marrying Joseph is that he had a past that consisted of heavy drinking, bar fights, and violence towards his first wife. And the way in which Joseph handled his relationships and them becoming abusive was a very gradual thing. It would begin by snippy comments, which then eventually would graduate to verbal abuse and then violence. And a lot of the time, these violent situations happened after a night of drinking. When his first wife realized that her marriage had gone from a loving one to an abusive one, she was very hesitant to leave. But when the abuse moved from her and started being casted on to their two children, she decided that this was the time to make a getaway. Joseph didn't take this well and he threatened to burn the house down, killing all of them. His first wife, Clara, packed up their belongings from where they were living in New York and moved herself and their two children to Arizona. And Joseph followed. He was begging Clara to take him back, but she refused, and when it finally sank in that his marriage was over and his wife and kids wanted nothing to do with him, he got violent. He attacked Clara with a cast iron skillet, leaving her bruised and battered. After that, he decided to hell with his family, and he moved from Arizona to California, where he eventually met Maria and recreated his entire life, hiding his aggressive past from her. But the further into their relationship he got, the gradual build of his abuse happened once more. Friends of Joseph recalled him blatantly stating that he was going to kill Maria. One of his friends named Peter even stated that Joseph had told him hundreds of times that he was going to kill his wife. Peter said that he tried to calm him down and asked Joseph if he killed his wife, what would happen to his little one, meaning Judith, to which Joseph replied, I guess I gotta kill her too. He became so violent towards his family that when Judith had prepared to fly out to the Bahamas for the filming of Jaws the Revenge, he threatened her with a knife, telling her if she decided not to come back, he would cut her throat. And let me remind you, this is a child he is saying this to. Which obviously this was extremely upsetting for Judith and she was scared. After the filming of Jaws was finished, instead of going straight home, Maria decided to take Judith to visit her brother in New York. When Maria fled to LA from Hungary, her brother went straight to New York. So Judith at that point had never really been around her uncle. When Joseph caught wind that Maria and Judith went to the brothers instead of going straight home, he called Maria's brother's house and asked to speak to Judith. And when Judith got on the phone, he threatened her over the phone, asking her if she remembered what he said before she left. After Judith got off the phone, she went and told her mother about the situation where her father had threatened her with a knife. And the following day, Judith and Maria caught a flight back to LA out of fear for what he would do if they didn't. There were many times that friends of the family had witnessed some of Joseph's threats, and nobody seemed to have taken it seriously. They brushed it off and didn't think twice about it. They assumed that he was angry, speaking and making these threats out of anger, and that he would eventually cool off. There were times, though, that Joseph would threaten to kill Maria. He would also threaten to kill himself, and he had threatened to kill Judith. 
He also threatened to kill himself and Judith, leaving Maria alone to suffer. For the most part, the abuse within the home was just verbal and mental abuse. In December 1986, Maria had filed a police report stating that over the last five years, her husband had threatened to kill her. She also accused him of choking and hitting her, but because she didn't have any kind of visible injuries at that time that the report was filed, she eventually decided that she wouldn't press charges. Joseph's drinking was getting heavier and so out of hand that instead of attending one of Judith's birthday parties at a bowling alley, he chose to stay home to drink. The friends Maria had also were becoming more and more aware of the troubles at home. Maria was very open about the fact that Joseph had a drinking problem and she spoke of it so casually. Her friends themselves didn't think much of it because Maria really didn't seem phased by the situation, but in reality, she was deeply bothered by it. Like most children who have abusive home lives, this began seeping into her daily life. Judith was slowly unraveling. She had told her friends that she was afraid to go home, saying that her daddy was a drunk and that he drank every day. And she was afraid because she knew that he was going to kill her mom. There are stories about physical abuse that Judith began enduring too, where she was being drug around by her hair from her father, and then he would slam her into the ground, causing her to have a bloody nose. To make things up to her after that situation, he went and bought her a pink TV for her room. At some point in time, Joseph began having full-blown affairs on Maria, and I'm not talking just sleeping with other women and cheating on his wife. He began actual relationships with women, taking them out and buying them lavish gifts and referring to them as his girlfriend. But he refused to leave Maria, and he also refused to allow her to leave him, which Maria felt utterly trapped. She thought that if she had left, he was going to kill her. So she began hatching this plan to hopefully get Joseph to leave her. She stopped taking care of herself and making herself look pretty. She stopped taking care of the housework and allowed the house to get completely disgusting. But it didn't work. Some of Maria's only friends were her neighbors, and again, she talked openly about the abuse within her home, and the neighbors began growing more and more concerned. They had offered Maria and Judith a place to stay until they were able to get a place on their own, but Maria declined. She just really wanted Joseph to leave and move on with his life so that she and Judith could stay in their home and continue their own lives. Eventually, the stress of everything caused Judith to pull out all of her eyelashes, and she began gaining some weight, and she pulled out all of the whiskers on her cat. And before an audition in May of 1988, she became hysterical, crying, hyperventilating, and was so upset that she was unable to speak about what was actually causing her to be upset. This was alarming for her agent, Ruth Hansen, who was so used to seeing Judith as a very poised and professional little girl. This was also the same agent who had worked with Judith since she was just five years old. She was very familiar with the child. She knew what was normal and what was completely out of character for her. 
Her agent became so concerned that she told Maria that she needed to take Judith to see a child psychiatrist. After the very first visit with the psychiatrist, they could identify that Judith had been severely abused mentally and physically, and it was the psychiatrist who reported the case to the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. When Child Protective Services got involved, they sat down with Maria and wanted to know what was going on at home that has caused so much damage to Judith. She told them about the abuse, but she reassured them that she was going to divorce Joseph and told them about an apartment that she had already obtained for her and Judith. This was true. She had obtained an apartment in the city called Panorama City, which was closer to the studios that Judith was working at. This apartment is one that she had been renting for a couple weeks by the time CPS got involved. It was a place that at that time she and Judith was using for an escape, so they didn't have to sit at their home or be near Joseph. They would tell him that they were busy, had appointments or auditions, but instead they were at the apartment as a safe place for them to be during the day. And then at night they would return home and act as if nothing was going on. Maria reassured the social worker that she just needed to start the divorce proceedings, which she intended to do very soon. The social worker took Maria for her word, assumed that she had it all planned out, and she dropped Judith's case. Now, Ruth Hansen, the agent for Judith, really was trying to urge Maria to make that final leap to divorce her husband and start fresh with her daughter. But Maria, for whatever reason, was so hesitant, and I'm not sure if it was out of fear or if it was because she just didn't want to uproot their lives. According to an LA Times article, Maria had told Ruth Hansen that she wanted to stay in the neighborhood for Judith's birthday. Judith had all these neighborhood friends, and she loved playing outside with them. The following month in July, Maria said once more that she didn't want to lose her home. She really loved her home and all of the things that Judith's career had bought her. Maria ultimately didn't want to lose that life that they had built. Even though she was hesitant to move, Maria started to slowly move things into the new apartment, and she did so bit by bit so that Joseph wouldn't really notice that things were going missing. On July 10th, 1988, Maria was taking some of the boxes that she had packed to her apartment. When she left home, she didn't realize that she was being followed by Joseph. When she started pulling these boxes from her car, Joseph approached her and confronted her asking what the hell she was doing. She quickly covered her tracks and stated that she was just helping a friend move some boxes that she had in the car for some time, and Joseph believed it. Maria, however, felt like her plan was completely ruined. If she and Judith made a break for this apartment, he now knew where it was and would likely turn up on the doorstep demanding answers and dishing threats. And she expressed this new worry to her friends and family, which all of them just encouraged her to do it anyways and told her it was time to finally leave him. On July 25, 1988, neighbors spotted Judith outside riding her pink bike like she often did. Summer was in full swing, and so Judith spent most of her days playing outside in the sprinkler or riding her bike with the neighborhood friends. Later that evening, Maria tucked Judith into bed and goes to bed herself. 
Joseph was left awake in the living room where he was drinking and watching TV. Joseph was often the last one awake in the house, and so this was nothing out of the ordinary for both Judith and Maria to go to bed, leaving him alone. When he was sure that his family was asleep, he got up and crept into a closet where he retrieved a thirty-two caliber pistol. After retrieving his weapon, he then went into his daughter's room where she was sound asleep. He approached her bed and placed the gun to her head and pulled the trigger, killing her instantly. The sound of the gunshot woke Maria and she quickly darted out of bed and ran down the hallway. Where she met her husband, who was holding the gun, and some sort of struggle ensued and he got Maria on the ground, where he then proceeded to shoot her in the head as well. For two days, Joseph continued to live inside that home like nothing had happened. He continued to live inside that home like the body of his daughter wasn't lying in her bed, like his wife wasn't lying in the hallway. He just went about business like it was normal. The morning after he had shot and killed his family, Judith was set to be at the studio for some sort of recording event for All Dogs Go to Heaven. When she was a no-show, the studio got in touch with her agent, and the agent actually phoned the Barcy home to see where she was. When Joseph answered the phone, he had told Ruth Hansen that a black car had came and picked up Judith and Maria that morning, but he wasn't sure where they were going, and he wasn't sure what it was for. He also had told Ruth that he had decided to move out of the house and just came back to tell his little girl goodbye. On July 27th, making it two days after Judith and Maria had been murdered, a neighbor named Eunice was outside her home watering her plants at 8.30 in the morning. She was startled when she heard an explosion coming from the Barcy home. She ran inside and called 911. She later was quoted in an article saying that when she heard the explosion and she was running to call 911, she knew in her mind that he had killed them and then set the house on fire like he always said he would. After the fire department responded and was able to get the fire put out, they went inside the home to find the body of Judith, age 10, Maria, age 48, and Joseph, age 55, all inside. It was also apparent that gasoline had been used to start this fire. Joseph had also died from an apparent gunshot wound to his head inside of the garage. The following day, the news began to spread like wildfire about the double murder-suicide. So many were shocked to hear that the cute little girl who had been in so many commercials and movies that they had seen had been brutally murdered by her father. One of the things that a lot of news media sources at the time wanted to point out was the fact that the very first big role that Judith starred in was in a show called Fatal Vision. And the show was based on a true story about a U.S. Army soldier who had actually murdered his pregnant wife and two daughters. Judith played one of the two murdered daughters in the show. The media ran with the point that this was some eerie foreshadowing for what the future held for poor Judith. Judith and Maria were buried side by side in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in the Hollywood Hills. Their graves were left unmarked for over a decade before a campaign to raise money for a proper headstone was started in 2004. Judith's headstone now reads, Our Concrete Angel. Yep, yep. Yep. 
The yep, yep, yep is in reference to the catchphrase that her popular character Ducky said in the movie The Land Before Time. Judith's final role as an actor was in the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven. Unfortunately, that movie came out in November of 1988, four months after Judith's murder. She never got the chance to pop popcorn and cuddle up with her mom watching her work on the big screen. But in the credits, they paid tribute to Judith by a song that was written and dedicated to her. The house that the murder-suicide took place in was repaired from the damages, repainted, and put back on the market. A family purchased the home and knew nothing of the home's past. In 2020, The Sun reported that the Bernal family moved into the home 19 years earlier, and soon after settling in, they began feeling a dark presence around them. They learned not long later that Judith and her mother had been murdered inside the home. The home and the Barnells' experiences was showcased in episode 4 of a show called Murder House Flip. In the show, they detailed how the garage door would open and close by itself, as well as various different areas of the home where cold spots could be felt. Gabby Bernal had slept in the same room where Judith was murdered, and it was said that she had suffered from horrible nightmares. Now, whether you believe in things like that, that's up to you. However, I did find it super interesting, and I always love hearing stories like that. Crimeaholics, that is all that I have to share with you on the case of Judith Barcy. Make sure you are in our private Facebook group. You can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all pictures and information pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we always encourage our members to share all things true crime. Also, make sure you follow over on both Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.com podcast. And lastly, if you wish to follow myself personally on Instagram, you can follow me at Crimeaholic. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care.